How do we make the name of Jesus great among the nations? How do you magnify the name of Jesus with your life? I think we can learn some lessons about how to make the name of Jesus great among the nations by looking at Genesis chapter 14. So we work our way through the book of Genesis. Genesis is documenting in chapter 14 here how the Lord fulfills his promise to Abram to make his name great. You know, he's promised in uh, Genesis 12, 2, says, I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And this morning we see that beginning to happen here in Genesis 14. At this point in Genesis, Abram's just a, a relative unknown in the land of Canaan. He's known by the people he's settled near to, but other than that, he's basically just a sojourner. But then what amounts to a world war occurs. And if I could have you go ahead and flip to the map on the screen there. There we go. So as you look at that map, you'll see that over in the modern-day Babylon, or modern-day Iran and Iraq, Shinar, Elam, and Babylon and uh, area, we have this king who has... He's coming across with four other kings, and we've got five kings in the uh, Promised Land area. And they, are, they, are, they have these other city nations under tribute. And so tribute basically is protection money. Okay, so you pay a certain amount of money, and uh, Kedor Leomar will leave you alone, right? And so it's kind of an early form of taxes, if you will, for protection. And, uh, and what we come into is the known world is, is going to go to war. And in our text this morning, we're going to find these four kings coming from the east and, and attacking five kings in the west in the promised land area because they stopped paying tribute. You see, the world goes to war over possessions, just as Russia wants to get Ukraine because of its, uh, its possessions, its natural resources and, and geography advantages and different things like that. And just like Hamas would like to take over the land of Israel, they're fighting over Possessions. That's what the world does. The world fights over possessions. And we see this in Genesis 14. And about the only thing, as we get into this passage, about the only thing that I can guarantee you is that I will mispronounce many of these names. Okay? I'm, I'm going to try and get Kedor Lamar correct. But i got to be honest, when I was first reading it, I was caught in Cheddar, Leomor. So anyway, Kedor Leomor, he's, he's the big bad guy of Elam. So in the days, Genesis 14, verse 1, In the days of Amraphel, king of Shinar, Arioch, king of Elisar, Kedor Leomor, king of Elam, and Tidal, king of Goim, these kings made war with Bera, king of Sodom, Beersha, king of Gomorrah, Shinab, king of Adma, 
Shemaber, king of Zeboim. That's kind of my favorite word of the whole thing, Zeboim. Just fun to say. And the king of Bela, that is Zoar. And all these joined forces in the valley of Siddim, that is the Salt Sea. Twelve years they had served Kedor Laamor, but in the thirteenth year they rebelled. They were done paying their tribute. In the fourteenth year, Kedor Laamor and the kings who were with him came and defeated the Rephaim and Ashtaroth Karnaim. Uh, when we read of Rephaim, those are usually unusually large peoples, okay? So they're the giants group, and uh, he just mows them down. The Zuzum in Ham, the Eman in Shavath Kirathim, and the Horites in their hill country of Sair, as far as El Paran on the border of the wilderness. Then they turned back and came to En Mishpat, that is Kadesh, and defeated all the country of the Amalekites, and also the Amorites who were dwelling in Hazazor Tamar. Then the king of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah, the king of Adma, the king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, that is Zoar, went out. And they joined battle in the valley of Siddim with Kedolaamar, king of Elam, Tidal, king of Goim, Amraphel, king of Shinar, and Arioch, king of Elisar, four kings against five. Now the valley of Siddim was full of bitumen pits. And as the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled or retreated, some fell into them, and the rest fled to the hill country. So the enemy took all the possessions of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their provisions and went their way. So these kings in alliance with King Ketelamar are unstoppable. They are mowing down the kings that are in the way, and they ravaged the kings of the east. And we're specifically told that the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah retreat with great difficulty. They lose resources. They lose people to these bitumen pits as they are leaving. No one is a match for King Ketelamar and his armies. And at this point you may be thinking, what does this have to do with Abram? Well, we find out in verse 12. They also took Lot the son of Abram's brother who was dwelling in Sodom and his possessions and went their way. See, a family member is taken. And Abram's not worried about possessions. He's worried about people. And I want to talk to you for just a moment here as we pause in this story and think about how it relates to our day. The church is at war. We're in a situation of modern warfare in the church. But our warfare is not according to the ways of this world. We're not dropping bombs. We're not sending armaments to other countries and things like that. That's not the church's war. In Ephesians 3, 8 through 10, I have that on your handout. If you have one, you can turn to the inside there and see Ephesians 3, verses 8 through 10. Paul is talking to the Ephesian church and he says... To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. 
This is a spiritual warfare. There are good guys and bad guys in the spiritual realm. And we are at war with them over people. In Ephesians 6, 10-12, Paul tells us about our weapons and our protection in this war. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. You see, the church is in warfare, folks. Do not be ignorant. There's a battle going on that we cannot see, and it is over the souls of men. And we are engaged, at least we should be, in this war. 1 Peter 5.8 tells us to be sober-minded, to be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Colossians 2.8, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. The false religions of this world and the false philosophies of this world are driven by these evil forces, the elemental spirits of the world, not according to Christ. And our battle, folks, is a battle with words. It is a battle with the gospel. We're not warring with our fists. We're not warring with our guns. We're not warring with missiles. We are warring with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so in 2 Timothy 2, verses 23-26, through 26, Paul writes this to Timothy, the young pastor. He says, Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And boy, boy just pre-warning, we've got an election coming up. Okay? And the, people are going to talk about, we're down here where they're building the wall and there's controversies. Don't be concerned about the wall so much as you are concerned about the souls that come over. And where is their eternal destiny? The world will worry about who should get in and who should get out. Let's worry about ministering to the people who come in. Let's worry about the refugees from the wars that are going on in Israel and in the Ukraine. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. They breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to everyone. Able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of who? The devil after being captured by him to do his will. Captured. That plays into our story today. What are they captured by? Well, the works of those flesh that I listed there in uh, Galatians 5.19 are not me. I didn't list them. I put them in your handout. It's Paul that listed them. Right? Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, Rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. You see, we are in a war for God's kingdom. We are at war with the world, the flesh, and the devil. 
And sometimes a believer gets taken captive into some sin. And when one of your church family gets taken captive, then you need to spring into action like Abram did. It's time to armor up, not with the weapons of the world, but the weapons that God has given us. And we war over our family members. Look at Genesis 14, verses 13 through 16. Then one who had escaped came and told Abram the Hebrew, who was living by the oaks of Mamre the Amorite, brother of Eschol and of Aner. These were allies of Abram. So allies means there's an underlying meaning of covenant there. They're in covenant with Abram. And, and beloved, that's a good place to be in our story. They were allies of Abram. When Abram heard that his kinsmen had been taken captive, he led forth his trained men born in his house, 318 of them, and went in pursuit as far as Dan. So those in covenant with Abram, his allies, they muster a very small force to go and rescue Abram's family member from the armies of Kedorlaomer. And we read in verses 15 and 16, And he divided his forces against them by night, he and his servants, and defeated them and pursued them to Hobah, north of Damascus. Then he brought back all the possessions and also brought back his kinsmen, Lot with his possessions, and the women and the people. You see, Abram does what the kings of the east could not do. With a small force, he defeats the mighty Kedarlaomor, and his armies. Now, Christ is our rescuer, right? I mean, he is our savior. But Jesus, well, well, let me put it this way. Jesus did what we could not do. He overcame Satan, right? He bound the strong man and robbed his house. He rescued us from sin and from Satan by living a perfectly obedient life and then dying on the cross for our sins. So that if we repent of our sins and put our faith in Jesus Christ as our Savior, He saves us. We become His people. We come under a different king. We come out from under the kingdom of Satan and His rule and His reign, and we come under the rule of Jesus Christ. He rescues people. You will call His name Jesus, for He will save His people from their sins. Amen. Jesus is going to continue that work until one day He brings us to be with Him. But if you're here today and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, you're living under the kingdom of Satan. And if you don't know that, you're ignorant to the fact that He's blinded you. And you need to repent of your sins and come into the kingdom of Christ. Submit to the King, Jesus. Follow Him with your life. and He will save you. But we, as Christians, we who have trusted Christ as our Savior... We are responsible to rescue our brothers and sisters, our kinsmen according to the faith. We are Christ-like when we rescue our brothers and sisters from captivity to sin. As Davy Davis, our missionary now to Ireland, uh, just a few weeks ago preached on James 5, 19 and 20. He says, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, Let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Beloved, we're in spiritual warfare. And you need to magnify the name of Jesus by entering spiritual warfare for your church family. 
When your brother and sister is caught in sin, don't just shrug your shoulders. Put on the armor of God and go after them. And be like Jesus. And do a rescue mission. Now, Abram goes and he wins this great victory with this small army that's in covenant with him. Just like church members are in covenant with one another. And then he returns. And then he faces a real battle. He's going to choose God's blessing over possessions. First off, in verse 17, we we see him return here. And he runs into another king. So there's been nine kings mentioned so far. Here's here's a tenth king. And, And if you've been coming to the understanding and applying God's word thing that we've been doing at night this is this is the track we 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 look first of all what did the author want to say to his audience then but now we make that transition across we do what we call that theological reflection to how the gospel impacts this and we look for Jesus in the text because Jesus says it's all about me have you not read the scriptures are all about me well now he shows up here he's the king of Salem what's Salem mean anybody know peace He's the king of peace. You say, well, where was he when all these other kings were battling? He wasn't battling in the world's ways, right? Neither does our king. Okay, so that's enough foreshadowing for you. I mean, I don't know if foreshadowing is probably not even the right word, right? I have just gave you. Jesus is in the passage. But he's not the only king that comes back out. So let's read verses 17 through 20. It says, After Abram's return from the defeat of Kedorlaomer and the kings who were with him, The king of Sodom went out to meet him in the valley of Shava, that is, the king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. Well, he was priest of God Most High. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. Two kings come to this valley of kings. The word kings is all over this passage, and this is part of God making Abram's name great. All these kings get to find out who Abram is. And while Abram is the man who received a covenant promise from the Lord, he discovers he's not the only worshiper of the Lord. There's this Melchizedek fella, king of Salem or Jerusalem. Abram enjoys communion with the righteous king of peace. Worship of the Lord in unity is represented by the bread and the wine, these communion elements. Melchizedek here is a type of Christ. We know this from Psalm 110 and then Hebrews chapter 7. Like Jesus, Melchizedek is a priest who is not from the tribe of Levi. Like Jesus, Melchizedek is a king, and Melchizedek resembles Jesus, Hebrews tells us, in that he has no genealogy or documented end of his reign. Genesis is the book of genealogies, and yet here's this guy who has none. You see, Jesus has eternally existed, and Jesus' reign will have no end. And so Abram meets this king, And what's Abram's reward? Well, blessing. Unlike earthly possessions, unseen blessings are really hard to quantify. You you can't count them. 
You can't buy things with them. They're spiritual in nature. But Abram values God's blessing more than possessions. Why is that? Well, Melchizedek introduces a new name for the Lord in the book of Genesis. God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. Possessor can mean creator as well. But the thing of it is, this passage is also, it's not only ripe with the word king, it's ripe with possessions. God is the possessor of heaven and earth. Abram picks up on this new name for the Lord. God Most High owns everything. So by faith, Abram understands that whatever he's been given by God, he can be generous with. He can be generous with his possessions because he worships the God of all possessions. The blessing given also reveals that God Most High gave Abram the victory over Kedolaomar. Blessed be the God who has delivered your enemies into your hand. You realize we have that same promise, beloved? Romans 16.20. Romans 16.20. The God of what? Peace. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Go to war for your brethren. Go to war for them. Their souls are important. Go take them back for your king. God will crush Satan under our feet. Kedaleomar, this great king in league with three other kings, comes and runs rampant over the world's kings, but not King Jesus. Satan is no, no foil for him. Jesus is going to be him with us. One hand tied behind his back, if you will. So Abram here receives a blessing, and again, unlike possessions, a blessing from the Lord is hard to quantify. So what does Abram do at the end of verse 20? He honors God most high by giving his priest king 10% of his possessions. Instead of reward, it costs Abram. It costs him earthly possessions to serve the Lord. But we, like Abram, understand by faith that the blessing of God is worth it. As Kim and I have served the Lord and many times throughout our lives, we've seen, especially when social media came along, right? You could see how all your high school classmates are doing and that type of thing. And you're just like, man, how do they afford that house? How do they afford that car? And how do they afford those vacations and all those other things? Now, of course, we only put the good side on social media, right? So don't get too down about that. But then we would question, one another, why, don't, why don't we have those things? Well, first of all, 10% of what we have goes to the Lord because we want to support His war, His kingdom. We want to be about His business. And it's been said before, if you want to know what somebody values, take a look at their bank account. Because it's there that we find out what they value, whom they honor. And Kim and I know when I first got saved, look, we, we, had, we, had, we did a really good job of getting ourselves in debt, those good old student loans. And when I married my wife, I doubled my debt. And I remember when I got saved, we'd send the bills out, and they, were, they would be passed in the mail by the late notices coming in, right? And we felt we should be 
supporting the Lord's work. We should be honoring him with what he gave us. Okay? And I want to be clear here. I'm not preaching that 10% is a, is a law. I think it's just a good gauge for giving. Okay? Because we're, we're not under the law. We're under grace. So we practice grace giving. You figure out what the Lord wants you to give. And I think 10% is given to us is just a good number. Try to reach that. Some of you need to exceed that. Okay? But what we started off with, I think, if I remember correctly, was either 5% or 7%. So we just need to be giving. And so we started. And then as I got raises and as we got things paid off, we just worked that number up and honored the Lord with what we had. And some of you right now are thinking, I can't do it. There's nothing there. You can give something. Honor God. You say it costs. Yeah, it does. But he's going to war. We've got to get the message out. We've got to support missions. We've got to train people in our church. We just don't know what God's going to do. You know that some of you, 10 years from now, may be on the mission field somewhere. Some of you may be pastoring a church somewhere else in the valley that we've planted or that needed a pastor that we've trained. We just don't know. Some of you, we have three young ladies in the womb with us here today. What's God going to do with them? We don't know. But we support, we give, we honor the Lord by entering spiritual warfare and honoring Him with our earthly possessions. It's a way of saying, what I have is because of you, Lord. So Jesus' name is magnified when you enter spiritual warfare while trusting God alone to provide for you because Abram is tested here. We said that he met two kings. The other king is the king of Sodom, perhaps an antichrist figure in the story. Verse 21, And the king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the persons. Remember, who did he lose in the bituman pits? People. And while you need possessions to be a king, you need people to go get you possessions. He says, give me the persons, but take the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted my hand to the Lord, God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich. I will take nothing. But what the young men have eaten, and the share of the men who went with me, let Aner, Eskel, and Mamre take their share. They're, they're Gentiles that Abram lives near, that are in his allies. He's not going to speak for them. But as for himself, he won't take anything. The king of Sodom here often offers Abram great wealth, possessions galore. But by faith, Abram understands that whatever he doesn't have, he doesn't need. What he has will be provided for him by God Most High, the possessor of all creation. The Lord's name will be magnified through Abram's faith in God's ability to provide for him. Abram will be known as the one God has blessed, not the one made rich by the kings of this world. But like Jesus, we're tempted by the possessions of this world. Remember Satan made that offer? Here's the kingdoms of the world if you only worship me. But we must rely on the Lord God Most High, the possessor of all creation, for our provision. 
And we've used this repeatedly in the last few messages, but Matthew 6.33, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. The food and the clothing God will take care of. You serve Him with your life. Jesus' name is magnified when you enter spiritual warfare while trusting God alone to provide for your needs. Now in our text today, the Lord God Most High bestowed greatness upon Abram, elevating his name through his triumphant victory over the formidable eastern armies, a feat beyond the reach of any of the other kings. By faith, Abram valued God's blessing more than earthly possessions. And perhaps you are here and you have chased the world and you have chased possessions and you thought you would find happiness in them, but they don't satisfy. I urge you, repent. Repent of your sins and trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. Come under the good King, the Lord Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and He will provide for your needs as you serve Him. Some of you here this morning may be seeking the world's possessions. You're a Christian, but you've been distracted. Maybe by cars or homes or wealth or savings or whatever the case. You've been captured by some possession. You need to magnify Jesus' name by trusting the Lord to provide for you while you go to war for Him. Some here may be captured by Satan and you may be in the throes of sin. As Pastor Tad likes to say, you didn't follow Jesus into your sin, but you can certainly follow Him out. Whatever that sin is, whatever that sin has captured you, you can follow Jesus out. And we're here to help. We're your church family. We'll go to war for you. But we've got to know. Confess it to us and we can help you. The devil wants you to live in shame. Jesus wants you to come out he's a savior that's his name right it's in the name he will save his people from their sins he wants to save you so repent get help we'll help you some of you here this morning you're struggling just weak your 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 faith is is good you're not in sin but you're just struggling life's been hard you need to remember that God's blessings are not be- measured by earthly standards. Your circumstances are not an accurate reflection of your standing with God. Let me say that again just so you get it. Your circumstances are not an accurate reflection of your standing with God. Your cancer, Tammy, Tanya, it's not a reflection of your standing with God. These are general effects of sin. If you're here and you're poor and you're struggling to pay your bills... It's not an accurate reflection. God, that doesn't mean God's mad at you. Serve Him with your life. Serve Him in your circumstances. Don't go weary in well-doing. For in due season we will reap if we don't give up. And if you feel like giving up again, we're here to help. We're here to go to war with you. John 13, 35, Jesus said this, By this... Shall all men know that you are my disciples? How do we magnify the name of Jesus? By this, that you have love one for another. Go to war for your brothers and sisters in Christ. Deliver them. Be like Jesus. You need to magnify the name of Jesus by entering spiritual warfare while trusting that 
He alone will provide for you. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, you are the God most high, a God above all other little g gods. You, Father, are greater than any of the principalities and powers in the spiritual realms. By your great mercy and your abundant grace that are overflowing and that your riches you are providing for us because you are the creator, the possessor of all things. And Father, this morning we want to repent of our doubting you and our lack of trust in you. Father, in many things and in many ways, Father, in thinking that we can find pleasure and joy in other things that you call sin. Father, in thinking that our circumstances somehow reveal our standing with you when you have said that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What love. That while we were your enemies, you died for us. Forgive us for doubting your love for us. Father, I pray, strengthen the weak here this morning. Encourage them in your love and your grace. And Father, open the eyes of the blind who've sought pleasure in sin. And they, want, they feel like they have to live in shame when they don't need to, Lord. They can follow you out. We can help them. And Father, there are some here this morning that are just spiritually dead. Please open their eyes. Help them to see their sin and the glorious Christ and your great love. Father, remind us this morning and remind us throughout this week that we are in a spiritual warfare and that our eyes cannot be trusted and our affections cannot be trusted, but we can trust you. And Father, may we, may we not take a penny from Satan as we serve you for your glory. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.